This is a podcast from the Royal Court Theatre. The following content may contain strong language. Hello, this is the Royal Court Theatre Playwrights Podcast with me, Simon Stevens. One of the experiences I have enjoyed most as the writer's tutor here at the Royal Court or later as associate at the Lyric Hammersmith and back here at the court again is the experience of reading a very early play by a writer largely unknown unknown to the world outside their immediate peers and friends and finding something extraordinary in it. It's happened a few times, but never with more force than the first time I read the plays of a young northeastern playwright I met at the 2009 Manchester Evening News Awards, Alistair McDowell. We had both, I think this is right, been nominated for an award that year, and at the drink ceremony afterwards, he gave me a copy of a collection of short plays he'd written. The plays, largely monologues in form, crackled with an energy and a darkness that was legible. We started a correspondence. I don't start correspondences with every writer who gives me their play, but I did with Ali. I had a hunch he might write something special one day. That potential was legible. The next few plays of his I read, playing Jane and Jennifer Jane, but it was in the fourth play of his, or the fourth that I read at least, Brilliant Adventures, that the potential was unleashed. A play that starts off like an excellent example of British social naturalism. A study of two brothers living in a Middlesbrough council house has its head blown off and its heart blown open by the revelation that one of these brothers has invented a working time machine. A nuanced, compassionate, political play exploded into a wild and humane exploration of the way in which poverty decimates potential and the emotional pull of families holds together the most broken souls. These themes have returned in his subsequent plays. I've rarely cried so openly in a theatre as I did sitting with my son watching McDowell's devastating monologue, Captain Amazing, produced by Newcastle Live Theatre that I saw at the Soho Theatre in 2014. His next play, Pomona, originally written for the Royal Welsh College of Music and Drama, was brilliantly directed by Ned Bennett at the Orange Tree in 2015 and largely considered to be one of the year's most thrilling plays. It moved to the temporary space at the National Theatre earlier this year. He made his Royal Court debut as part of the Open Court season uh, in 2013 with Talk Show, a tender exploration of a teenage fantasist. His most recent play, X, enjoyed massive success in the Royal Court Theatre downstairs earlier this year. For me, there's a fundamental tension in Ali McDowell's writing that renders it extraordinary. A compulsive cinephile and reader of comic books, he's fascinated by genre. Whether he's writing plays under the shadow of time travel, superheroes, H.P. Lovecraft, esque horror or science fiction though this genre fascination is always counterpointed by a tender understanding of the heartbreaking grip of family and a genuine political rage at the injustices of poverty in England. An autodidactic scholar of contemporary playwriting he is a compulsive reader and a hugely prolific writer few writers have the heat around them as he does around him this year. He remains to this day and to my intense irritation my son's favourite playwright Alistair McDowell. Welcome Welcome to the Royal Court. Oh, blimey. That's nice. I don't know if they make gravestones big enough to like, you know, to like carve all that on <laughs> when I'm gone. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, my son's favourite play, right? Really? Yeah. yeah. Really? It's really annoying. It's very nice. Yeah, it must be furious. <laughs> yeah. uh, he came to see X on his own. Mm. Uh, 
and uh, he texted me in the interval and said, yeah, it's good, it's good, it's all right, it's good. And yeah, then yeah. at the end he texted me and just said, oh my fucking God. Yeah. And still to this day, he'll go into a reverie, uh, will my son Oscar, and I'll, I'll ask him what you're thinking about, and he'll either be thinking about maths, which is the thing that makes him happiest in the universe, yeah, yeah. or he may well be thinking about X. <laughs> oh, that's so nice. Oh, that's lovely. Yeah, that's a play. I, I when we were when I was writing it, thinking because I hated maths at school, and I remember writing it thinking, man, if I was a mathematician, I feel like this would be better. Like I could do this by better if I was a mathematician, you know? Because I was fundamentally dealing with mathematical kind of concepts I guess almost but I had no clue you know how to mm. use them but oh that's nice that's very nice <laughs> he'll be very he'll be quite uh, he gets starstruck about quite weird people like he'll meet yeah. quite famous actors and not be bothered but he met a computer engineer once and could barely speak with excitement he'll be really happy oh really <laughs> oh yeah that's like me yeah it's weird the people that you when you see them you realise yeah. oh yeah this is a huge deal Thank yeah. You. <laughs> yeah exactly um, the question I've been asking everybody to start off with, uh, and it's the first proper question I'll ask you, is is when did you first go to the theatre? Um, when did I first go to the theatre? It's probably a panto. We used to, my parents would drive Christmas to Darlington and we would watch a panto and then on the way back the duvet would be in the car and we would sleep on, in, on the back seat in the car, which is a lovely memory, isn't it? And uh, <laughs> I was the eldest of four, so there's a lot of, you know, a lot of kids, so that was probably the first time. I don't remember it having a, you know, I liked it, and but I, my memory of that is mainly that being asleep in the back seat rather than whatever the plays were. Um... Uh, and we went school a little bit and stuff, but I mean, school in Middlesbrough. I went to school near Middlesbrough. Yeah, I grew up in the kind of North Yorkshire kind of countryside around there. So um, nearest town is Middlesbrough. But if we went to theatre, we'd go to Newcastle or Leeds. Um, I didn't really kind of get into it until we started doing it at um, school kind of properly you know GCSE and what have you I think the first kind of play GCSE drama yeah I did and I did A level and I did at uni I did it all the way through do you remember why you chose GCSE drama Uh, because I I liked because I liked it because I liked I liked acting and I liked storytelling and, and that's it. I mean, really at school, I was pretty much only interested in English and drama. That was like really the only things I was right. remotely interested in. And and I remember um, at one of my exam levels getting like a, you know, getting like a U in biology, but I got like a, a D in an English exam. I remember my mum being absolutely furious about the D and not remotely, <laughs> you know, like, like she'd clocked quite early on, like, well, he's not going to be a scientist. So, you know, like really furious about that D, but didn't care in the slightest about the U. Why you did know? you get a D? Were you, were you not a very uh, diligent scholar? No, no, I, I, I did okay. I did fine at school, I was, but it was um, the, the same problem I have now is extremely stubborn. And if I didn't like something, I would t- try and take it down rather than just, so we had to do a novel that I didn't like which i won't mention but uh i spent my exam writing about how the novel wasn't very good really rather than actually answering the question so i had to read so it was it was a good lesson because it just meant i had to do the exam again and read the book another two or three times so did you change your mind about the book no no really didn't i'll tell you what it was afterwards yeah <laughs> i don't but, think uh, uh, is it a living writer who's yeah, writing to it is, it is, it is someone i might meet one day so better not say <laughs> But they, I remember the first play, like play that I saw that was like, oh, this is. Uh, we went and saw um, uh, View from the Bridge at West Yorkshire Playhouse. Right. And um, when I think of the things that really had a big impact in me, it's points where I feel like 
I was like, oh, I didn't know you could do that. You mm. know, I didn't know. And View from the Bridge, I think the lifting of the chair and the knife fights at the ends, mm-hmm. just a real sensation. Oh, I didn't know you, I didn't know you could do this. I didn't know plays could be as exciting as anything else, you know, because, <laughs> you know, in school you're mostly you're doing Shakespeare probably in quite a dry way or you're doing, yeah. you know, whatever. So so when I, when I, could, I could notch through the key kind of things that I saw or read and I had the exact same response to all of them which is it's kind of almost someone giving you permission to go oh you can you're allowed to do that but but really the the, the main way I got kind of into theatre new writing was just was just reading it in the um because I read so I always read like a lot um you know novels and um I would just want to keep finding new things new things and so eventually you just sort of stray into into drama and I think um a theatre company came to school to do workshops and things like that and they gave us an extract from 448 Psychosis really? and um, and then I read up a, and then I was just like this is so weird like I just didn't know what it was because it wasn't a, you know it was, it's a play now but at yeah. the time you're like again I didn't know you could do this I didn't yeah. know this was a play and yeah. then so I kind of started reading up on her and then the school had the Methuen Book of Modern Plays, which is black book with a red kind of, which I think a lot of people had as one of their first introductions to this kind of thing, and it had yeah. Blasted in it, and yeah, Beauty Queen of Linan, yeah, Top Girls and stuff like that, yeah, and uh, and I remember finding that and reading Blasted and feeling like, oh, I shouldn't tell any of the teachers or anything that this book's in the light. Like I don't think they know, you know what I mean? Like I remember feeling like like it was like some illicit uh, thing. And, How old were you then? Uh. Fifteen, maybe fourteen, fifteen, maybe like a teenager, young teenager. I would say, yeah. You're um, an extraordinarily, extraordinarily energetic reader. Now, whenever I meet you, the energy of your reading astonishes me. It, Have you always been? Like yeah, that? I think so. I mean, yeah, I've always read a lot. I don't feel like I read now as much as I still read quite a lot, but I, I definitely slowed down a bit. Um, of other friends and stuff who, who kind of intimidate me with their level of reading, but like when I particularly when I was a teenager and when I was at university, it was just it was kind of constant, really. It was just. Why do you think that was? Because I'm just it's just I'm just addicted to 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 fiction, to just stories in every form. So it's just it's it. I wouldn't be a writer if all the stories I wanted existed. You know, like it's just a case of I think of something and go, oh, that's that that's amazing. Like that would be really cool, and it doesn't exist, so I just have to do it. You know, yeah. so um, so that's that's the only reason for that, and and it's also I think I'm obsessive and obsessive compulsive, obsessive in lots of different ways, and I think there's also just I'm definitely a kind of collector. So as well as, you know, so I've, I collect all kinds of weird things, but like just collecting stories and books and films and album, whatever, it's just, I think it's also part of that, just a con- compulsive reading is just to go, I hear about something that I've not read and I just immediately have to go and kind of yeah. pipe it into my head somehow. When you look on the website, I don't know if you ever look on this website, the brilliant website dooley.com, through which I do a lot of my research. There's an extraordinary output of plays by young Ali McDowell. The earliest that I could find is a play called Home Sweet Home that you did with the Stokesley community drama at the Harrogate Youth Festival in 2005. How old were you in 2005? Uh... 17 probably yeah 2005 was the year I went to university but I, I wrote my first play when I was 16 yeah. this is the play about being in a band yeah I wrote a play yeah you said I, earlier that all of us have plays about being, being in a, a band, band. <laughs> I think so mine was just mine was not really what's why did I write a play the first play um 
I just was reading him a lot. Do you know what it was? Is from the age of about um, uh, my my kind of classic uh, superhero origin story here is mm. that when I was six, Jurassic Park came out, right? <laughs> and so that's 1993. So that an important film for you? It was. I well, it was important for the main reason that I wasn't allowed to go and see it because my cousin was older than me and he was right. uh, terrified. You know, he was like, too, he was too scared. So my mum wouldn't take me. Um, and I remember just. It was just a huge moment. I remember knowing that she was on the phone to my uncle and that this phone call was going to say whether I could go and see Jurassic Park or not and find out that I couldn't go. And in 1993, not being able to see Jurassic Park is like... I mean, it was everywhere. It was mm. on lunchboxes, it was on telly. It was It was just... You could not escape it. And it was just, it was just the biggest blow for me like it was like I couldn't believe it and so one of the consolation prizes I got I think that Christmas was I got an annual which they do for any they tie in any film or whatever sure. you know like yeah. a big family movie and for some reason in the back of this annual they'd put Steven Spielberg's entire filmography in the back like right. I don't forget in a kid's annual I've no idea why <laughs> they did this to this day and and I was looking at it and I realized oh, this guy also made, you know, Close Encounters, yeah. which I loved, and E.T., and yeah. he produced... And I just, like, made the connections of, oh, like, you can have this job where you make brilliant things that, like, that people like, you know? And and and, and before that, I'd, I'd written... Sto- you know, I'd written stories, and I, I wanted to... I'd always kind of wanted to be a writer and write kind of short st- stories and things like that, and it's, you know, seven or eight years old by this point or whatever. Mm. But at that point, realising... Oh, yeah, I could, I could, you can make Close Encounters and Jurassic Park. That could be your job. It could be a thing mean? that didn't exist and you yeah, made it. Exactly. Because yeah. I think books, writing was just something I'd always done and it was yeah. just this kind of, it's just a thing that you do. But theorizing that, oh, this guy with this name, with the glasses and the beard and the cap, he yes. has, it's his job that he does. Yeah. So from that age, I, I wanted to make films. That was like, I'm going to make films. Right. Because I'd always been kind of obsessed with film, yeah. And um, but we didn't have any money for. I mean, I've told this like a bunch of times now, and I think it's probably something that people used to level various criticisms at some of my work. I think is that I I, I couldn't make films, like I couldn't. I didn't have the money to have a camera or whatever. Yeah. But what I did have was I was doing drama at school, and I have my friends, and mm. and that that seemed like the closest I could get at that point in time. So at first it was a practical issue. It's like I wanted to make a film, I couldn't. But I had my mates, and the teacher would let me use the facilities or whatever, so I could make a play. So I made started making plays when I was about sixteen, and at first it was just that thing. It was just practically that's what I could do. Did you write them? Did you write scripts? Yeah, I wrote. Yeah, I wrote plays. They were all like my early plays were all pretty much pretty similar, like John Hughesy kind of teenagers yeah. sitting around chatting kind of thing, yeah. like Breakfast Clubby kind of thing, and and. You know, like the stuff that you read when you first when it's on the school shelves. So like, um, our day out and you know stuff like that. You right. Know, but you know, just like like I guess like hangout plays almost. Yeah. You know, because I, I thought a play was people sitting around and talking. You know? Yeah. And then as I kind of read more and more and more, I kind of started to realize, oh, I can do things that I can't do in film anyway. There's things that that I can do in a play that I can't do in a film. Yeah. And there were writers that I was discovering that seemed more dangerous and exciting and weird and 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 funny and 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 strange that 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 I wasn't finding in in film so much right. at least at that time you know so I just kind of gradually ed- my my work from about 16 up to and including university slightly edged further and further towards being more theatrical basically and not just people sitting around chatting in real time and direct and you directed your own stuff yeah I did early on. up until yeah. uh 
when I, uh, I did on the fringe a little bit after university as well. You went yeah. to Manchester University? Yeah, yeah. And it's a very uh, a vibrant time, Manchester University, at the end of the noughts, in terms of there's a lot of, quite a few people came out of that. Simon Longman's... Yeah, he was in my first play at uni, Simon. Yeah. He was in two. He was in bun, he was in lo, he was in pretty much everything I did at uni, Simon. He used to be an actor. Yeah, yeah. he was a really good actor, and he's a really great writer. I now. saw him in a student production of Herons. Yeah, of course. Young, yeah, which was uh, Clive Judd, who's yeah. my best man. Yeah, and, <laughs> and, <laughs> and directed Captain Amazing. Yeah, and, uh, and no, Mark, yeah. who Mark was in Wyman. Captain Amazing, was also in Herons as well. So yeah. Did you the, enjoy university? Yeah, I loved. I loved it. It took me a little while. Going like, from uh, rural northeast. Yeah, because Yorkshire you go from a tiny school where you're king of drama and then you turn up at yeah. a university and you, you know what I mean it's a pretty classic story so it took me a while to, to kind of what like, year were you there what years did you 2005 go? to 2008 right and you're right it was there was a weird block of um it was like my year the year above and the year below there's a lot of people who are still now my very close friends who are also doing really well yeah you know Rob Hayes was there he's a really yes. great writer Ned uh, Bennett who directed Pomona yeah just ended up directing promoter because he was the best person for the job. He just happened to be one of my best friends from university, right. you know. So it's 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 lovely that um, so many, a lot of them are comedians. And, and, was and, the, do you remember at the time thinking? Because I think that happens in in universities. You get little flurries where a university will be very hot with its creative, with one element of its creative arts. My, were yeah. you aware? Of, were you aware of that at the time? Thinking this is interesting. Uh, I was hap I was. Ver we were all. In very good spirits because we were just making stuff. What the, th the my theory behind it is that the course wasn't practical. It was like a theoretical course, sure. which I, which I liked as well. Yeah. I was glad to get that. Um, mm. But uh, it meant that if you wanted to make anything, you had to do it yourself. You were doing drama. Yeah. So there were a bunch of people there who were very frustrated that they weren't getting to act or direct or whatever on sure. the course. And also because all the facilities were very new and very expensive, it was quite hard to get to use them mm. sometimes. So. Um, the people, me and my mates who sort of banded together, my theory is it was all people who were very willing to kind of really work to make something to get it right. together. You know, uh, Lucy Oliver Harrison produced all my stuff at university and then all my stuff on the fringe and she now uh, is kind of running the yards with Jay Miller, you know what I yeah. mean? And she, so having someone like her to help me get stuff was kind of invaluable. So the, my theory is that we all got very good at being able to pull stuff together and and find space and, and stuff like that so that when because university, the university didn't offer because that. it was yeah. it they did but it was you had to sort of know yeah. you know you had to be friends with certain people and stuff yeah. like that mm. to, you know and uh, or at least be friendly with certain people it was the, the reason they didn't want you to use it is they didn't want you to break anything so all you had to do was just be polite and prove that you weren't going to break anything and then they were fine so and then but what that meant was that when university finished and we all were started making work like independently in pubs and at festivals and on the in various teeny fringe places, it's we were used to having to do stuff ourselves. And, it was the Manchester know. Fringe, yeah. Uh, I never really did anything on the Manchester Fringe. So when you say in the Fringe, what fringe are you talking? I'm about? just talking about the general fringe theatres in England. I'm talking about like as big as Edinburgh Fringe, but as also I'm to, I, I use that to refer to like when I was doing plays in like uh, community halls and right. upstairs and pubs and yeah. Like I spent after university, I spent a bunch of years seemingly just on trains with ikea bags full of props and stuff like that you know like and um and i would and and actually that's coming a bit kind of all over the place but to bring it back to the kind of film theater things that i was learning from film i was bringing over to theater was yeah. that uh, uh around that time so university uh the f i was into very independent filmmakers so i you know uh, people who just did it themselves basically yeah. um 
which is not really a genre or anything. It's all kinds. Of, it's people, you know, all people from like Robert Rodriguez to John Cassavetes and people like that. You know, any anyone who basically like scrounged together money and made it themselves. And that spirit that astonished you in Steven Spielberg because he was actually, I mean, he was a peer of a lot of those of the second. Yeah, Golden yeah, he's the, the, new, the new, the new Hollywood. Yeah, yeah, yeah that seventies kind of thing. But the, what what excited me about the indie guys was that thing of they just they just did it. They just went yeah. and did it. And I remember, I think Robert Rodriguez saying a thing like, um, "Oh, I looked at what I had, which was my town, a guitar, and a tortoise, and I made a film about that, which was El Mariachi." <laughs> so I remember using that and thinking, "Well, I want to make plays. That's what I want to do at the moment." And I've got okay, so I've got these two. Who I, who I know are not only good actors, but they'll come with me on whatever weird thing we do. And yeah. I've got this person who can do this, and I can do And I would just accrue what things, skills, and people I had, mm. and then build the plays. You know, so it's quite practical. So a lot of two-handers and things like that, you know. And so was there any doubt, once you, once you graduated in 2008, was there any doubt that you could have become playwright or somebody who made plays or made films like or, no no was I was always conviction weirdly is... stubborn about that I just always assumed that I was gonna I, it, it shifted at one point it was like novelist and then filmmaker but once it was theatre it was like okay I'm gonna do this and also and it just never shifted from writer really I wanted to be an actor vaguely at one point or um cartoonist when I was really young I sort of did like Schultz and stuff you know yeah but um did once, you never want to direct I, I liked directing, but I, re- I stopped directing when I realised the only reason I was directing was basically just to protect. It was just like protect my own stuff and yeah. do it how I wanted to do. And once I realised that I wasn't... I mean, I was okay at it. I was kind of passable at it, but yeah. I was never going to make anything that was particularly visually exciting or it was... It was it, I was doing it just... And also because it was cheap because I would work for myself for free, you know, and things yeah. like that. So, um, but once I, you know, once uh, Clive kind of emerged as a, as a as a great director at Ned and, you know, my friends started, you know, I would they would direct my things as well and, like... Um, so they were... That, that sort of helped me sort of shift out of that. But, no, it was always writer and I always just assumed it would happen eventually and that's mainly because I just never did anything else and never done anything else. I've have you never, done other jobs? I have done other, like day jobs and yeah. bits and bobs I've worked in takeaways and pubs and art galleries and you know but I've, I've never I just always assumed well I'm just going to do this yeah. and I don't know I can't really explain that I don't it wasn't like I was thinking I was so brilliant at it it was just I just thought well I'm just going to do it and I guess I just thought well maybe I'll get paid for it maybe I won't but I will just do it and that that is still how I measure whatever work I'm going to do at the moment it's like I won't tell this to whoever's employing me, but it's like, would I do this for free? Yeah. <laughs> you know? And yeah. if I think, yeah, I probably would, then that's probably that's a good that's a good option to do. Because if I'm doing it for free, it's because I really love it and enjoy it. Great. But if I'm taking something on just for money, then, I mean, I, I don't think, particularly if you're a player, I don't know if you should do any job for money because it's there, you just do another job. It's much easier to make money in any other job, yeah. probably, you know? Yeah. So, um, no, I, I, I can never really explain that because people always, you know, family or whatever always like oh didn't you must they 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 assume that i'm going to be really surprised and i'm just like no i just assumed it would eventually happen and it's hard to say it without sounding really arrogant because it does sound really arrogant but it's just i didn't think about it i just well i'm just going to keep doing it i don't know if it sounds arrogant or just a bit deluded i think it is i think that's maybe essential yeah to just keep going and against all because from the age of 16 till probably about 18 Mm. i think i wrote like a play a month or something i just did it over and over and over again and they were all really not very good and i mean if i look at any of i I i've just moved house recently so look i've kept everything and some of it is just, 
I feel like I'm gonna have to write some kind of Kafka thing to say burn it all when it, you know what I mean so it's so bad but like yeah. it doesn't matter because because it, 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 it it's that old thing of a 10,000 hours or whatever I just yeah. did it repeatedly yeah. until eventually I worked out bits and bobs and I got a little bit better at each bit you know in uh, I might I, I will receive the narrative differently to how it was experienced by you but in my experience as I said it was reading brilliant adventures yeah. to me felt like this is a bit of a leap forward. Yeah. <laughs> was yeah. it? Did it feel like that in the writing? Um, or, or, or was Captain Amazing before or after in writing? Uh, no, that was after. Yeah, so brilliant. Adventures adventure. I wrote in 2010, and it didn't go on to 2013. But in mm. the interview of this, I think everyone in England read that play at some yeah. point. And, and it took it winning a prize for them to put it on, basically. So, um, how uh, did you, Do you play, remember how you wrote it? I wrote it while I was working at the Whitworth Art Gallery in Manchester and I, it was quite quiet a lot of the time and I would have a little notebook in my pocket and I'd scribble away little bits and then I'd what go What were you scribbling? Were you scribbling dialogue or were you scribbling ideas? Uh, I would scribble bits of dialogue. I'd draw little cartoons of the characters and what the... At the it was a one-room place. It's quite important what that room looked like, so I'd draw the room quite a lot and I would... Um, just scraps like it's kind of similar to what I do now it's just scraps that gradually accrue and then I start mapping out the actual beats of the plot and story and stuff but it, it was kind of it did feel like a leap forward in that it felt um, it felt like oh this is this is like a um, it didn't it didn't feel like the biggest the biggest actually was the one that isn't that I I, I don't like let anyone read anymore but you read the um, the girls boarding school one yeah. which is called Play Jane which the reason that was a big leap forward is because up to that point I'd been doing lots of I kind of I did experiment a lot and I was very into performance artists and people like that you know I was yeah. into like Laurie Anderson yeah. Spalding Gray and people like that so like it was like my plays were always in that period kind of post-university formally trying to do something you know different but mm. I just realised kind of almost overnight are like oh the structure in all my plays is terrible like it's just the structure is always really bad it's got a decent beginning and a decent end but the middle is just floppy and all over the place right. and it's because uh, I just wasn't doing enough kind of kind of craft work early on right. so I just I read um, I kind of reread pretty much everything that Edward Bond wrote in the 70s <laughs> like I read uh, I read Save Leah the Sea Bingo and I read them all like back to back to back to back to back because making notes on them or? no just reading them just right. sucking it in because each of those plays has a very different structure and yep. each of those plays does something quite innovative with that structure and each of those plays is just I don't think there's much wasted time or space in those plays I think they're just very um, restoration as well I remember reading but um, I just thought they were kind of like a mini masterclass in like yeah. here's how to build a piece of work so I just read them all and then so when I did this this girls boarding school play um, it was I did like almost excessive work early on in like and, and I don't even I, I don't do that level. I don't feel I like have to actually as much do that level of kind of prep but like I was so I was like my goal with this play is to make it absolutely kind of watertight structure. What kind of things were you planning and how were you making the plan? Were you just kind of describing uh, how many scenes or things like that? No, or? I mean, stuff is pretty basic. I guess, yeah. like, I was map, so I'd map out, like, what is, okay, first of all, what is the basic kind of action of a play? What is a play doing? What's the story and then what's the action on top of that story? And yeah. with each scene, like, what is the kind of, because that game, that play is almost kind of, it, the basic plot of a play was a new girl comes into a dorm at a boarding school and is basically treated horrendously by all the other girls. There's yeah. not a huge amount that happens in it, right? It's, it's pretty simple setup so it was just working out in each scene 
what is the kind of game of this scene. What, sure. You know, it was a really great story to do that with because it was just every scene was basically a similar thing. It was like they're going to do something next level horrible to it. We're love, just going to keep going. I you love know? that image. What is the game of this scene? That's still how I think of it. And I think what's it's the a game great of the play? Way of, it's a because great it's, way of thinking about it. It's a very simple way to think about it because it's it's what's to be gained, what's to be lost, and what are the rules? You yeah. know. And and with that play, it was really easy because it was like, in this scene, they're going to cut her hair off. You can't do that in the first five minutes, so how do we get to that point and how do we navigate that? And yeah. why do we want to cut her hair off and what will it mean to them if they do and what will it mean to them if they fail and things like that? So it was like, you know, it's like... Uh, slightly wanky kind of but chess is what I was trying to you know it's like who moves where and why and it was organising like four or five people in one room and getting them to attack people from various corners so it was like that was the one that I felt like okay I learned like a huge amount from that so it made sense that the next one after that would be taking what I learned from that and yeah. and matching it with the form stuff I've been doing kind of before that because that was a really straight play it was just like a bunch of scenes in one room but, you know the um, uh, I, I, I want to talk more about Brilliant Adventures uh, yeah. uh, including that but also more widely if you want I'm fascinated by it, and I've never heard any other writer talk about the idea of drawing cartoons of their characters or yeah. drawing the set in which... The, do you still do that? Did you do that with X? Uh, I do that with some plays, but not... Other. The drawing the set, I don't... Like, drawing the set is, is kind of a waste of time because you don't... Like, you don't... You know but what I mean? It's, like, it's, not, it's not because it's a sketch for the designer, but it no, no, helps no, 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 no. you solidify I, the scene in I'll, your head. Do you know head. when I'll do that? If it's, a one, if it's specifically a one-room play, yeah. then I'll do that because if a one-room play, a big part of a play is going to be why are we in that room? Why is that room the room? You know, yeah. if, it, if 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 a room wasn't so important, then we'd see other rooms, right? But but in adventures, it if you can really practically talking about that play, the plot of it, a big part of the plot was like different people basically fighting over this little flat. So it's like, okay, mm. so I need to know exactly what is in this flat and where you know. So drawings and things like that help me with that. And with X, you say, okay, well we're trapped in this room basically forever. So I need to really know what this room looks sure. like. But I don't, I don't then bring that stuff in and demand that people do that and, yeah. and in x i think in adventures the description of a room is quite long in the play that's probably because it's kind of an earlier play and stuff like that but in x it's more i just tell you what the absolute basics are that need to be is it the big window at the back basically in the yeah. little kitchen area yeah but like yeah i draw if it's one room i'll draw it but i'll always do some kind of drawings how, how and I'm not very good. I'm not very good at drawing either. But, so they, but like, they. So when you're writing a scene, in your mind's eye, and I would l so love to find a better terminology than that. I guess imagination might be a better term. <laughs> yeah. But are you? Are you? Uh, do you visualize a, a, a set actors, or does it? Do the scenes take place in a kind of imaginary real world? No, no. It's always in a theatre. Always in a theatre. And I'm not just. And if I'm thinking about it, I'm not just thinking about the stage. Either. I'm thinking about the entire the entire room because I think every play is the auditorium, the yeah, seats, the yeah, audience. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I can't think about that too specifically unless it's a commission for a specific sure. space. But I will think loosely: is it a big room or a small room? Is it Pross Arch or is it? You know what I mean? And Does that come from your years of kind of making work in Manchester and in the Fringe and being? I think well, it's just probably doing the same play. Uh, the same two or three plays over and over again in a variety of tiny weird little places that yeah. all had different setups sure. and stuff so at that point I was writing very openly but I think what has excited me more is thinking like okay well what is what's the game of the room almost you yeah know, great talking about the same thing and, so and, the play uh, has a game in relationship yeah of course to when I, t I teach sometimes and 
the only way I can describe writing for a for a live audience like that is like it's turn based surfing in that your play has to ride a wave, which is the audience, but you've no idea what it's going to do before you know you've no so all you, you have to make all your moves in advance and hope that that is going to appropriately and there are certain things you can do to help that, which is well, is this a play for a big room or a small room because they feel different, and is this mm. a play for that is designed to be a kind of through a frame like a pros arch or is this a play that's designed to happen in and amongst the audience or is it like Pomona was definitely in the rounds I was like that's, this has to be done in the rounds mm. it's just the energy of this you have to be sort of in a kind of um, an arena with it really yeah. Um, yeah but but X it was like well for various reasons that has to be within a frame at a slight kind of distance from the audience there has to be a little bit of space where they can hold it at arm's length a tiny bit just so that they can feel like the distance within the play itself amongst other reasons you know so with Bridley Adventures it was I, I thought very carefully about what that room was but it was always a room in and I wrote it for a you know a, a smallish studio theatre you know with um with Brilliant Adventures the experience of reading that for the first time and seeing it I go back to your comments about reading both Sarah Kane and seeing View from the Bridge of that exclamation god I didn't realise you could do that <laughs> when you read the first ten pages of that play it reads like a really good example of social realist drama from the noughts or the 90s. Yeah. And then there's the time machine invented in the heart of it. How, yeah. Where did the time machine idea come from? Was that, did you have the idea before the brilliant social realism? Or were you writing the social realism and just thought, fuck this, I'm putting a time machine in No, there? no. Or what, how, no. Con how conscious were you of that? Um... I uh, I never have a great answer for. I just uh, the they just turn up and they just like the ideas they just show up and it's and, in the right in the process of writing just thinking about it just thinking right. about it before, like the, what you call the mulling I guess or wandering yeah. around carrying it you know yeah and and uh, and and when I know it's a good idea is if I have a sensation like and I've said this about a thousand times too but like finding your keys in that when you find your keys. <laughs> Your keys are where you left them. They're there. So when you find them, you go, I knew where these were all the fucking time. The whole time I knew where these were. I just didn't look in this place, you know? So if I have an idea that's a good idea, it won't feel like an, a creation. It'll feel like a discovery, right? Whereas if I'm, if I'm, if I have a crap idea, it's because I'm thinking, oh, let's do this to make this more exciting, or blah, 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 blah. Yeah. So it's for things to happen more organically. So I knew I was writing a sad play about two brothers who lived on this kind of abandoned estate. And then it just, I don't know when, but uh, it just, oh, of course, one of them has invented a time machine. <laughs> and I have no better answer to it than that. Like, I have no, oh, of course, and, and, and you know. And I think people who haven't liked much of my plays think that I'm just putting in... <laughs> to be kind of blunt, weird shit in order to make them a bit more, you know, because all my plays seem to have like a ghost or a time machine or a, they've got something in it that people would think is somewhat idiosyncratic. Um, it feels, it's like a genre counterpoint. It's slightly, but it's also, I'm, try, I'm trying to get to, so, uh, so Brilliant Adventures is about two brothers yeah. who, have, who have got a bad past and a, yeah. it's about regret and missed opportunity yeah. and all those things. So if I'm trying to get as close to the emotional truth as that as possible and I've got the tools of theatre and imagination to do it with, a time machine is the most direct, clear, quick way to get to the heart of all of that. Mm. Because if you just sit that in a room, it makes every single... Uh, it makes the pain of that situation so palpable, like, immediately. Like, as soon as you go, look, there is a time machine. And if you have um, the, the, the father in that play... 
uh, if you've not read it, that's a spoiler, never mind. But um, uh, the father in that play, who has been absent and um, uh, addicted to various substances, notably mm. heroin in that play, um, it, it feels like a family member has been has had their humanity stripped and taken away from him and become a kind of distant animal yeah. almost. So the so the far in that play is an animal on a on a lead. It's just a process of getting as close as possible emotionally to what you're doing, which is the same with all every image in all our plays, I can map, oh that is just that. But extra yeah. and I don't see why you wouldn't do that. It's not like I'm thinking I need to do this to make it more exciting. It's like, well, you've got it's theatre. That's what you can do. You can make that. You can use a room full of imaginations to create something that's going to get as closer to anything that you can in any other medium. Hopefully, you know. Um, and and I think I mean with that play particularly, I think like Sam Shepard looms pretty large over that one, mm. and he was a huge deal for me. Like reading all of his great plays because he's doing exactly the same the whole time it's like he's he, uh, true west is his brother's play which everyone who's written a brother's play is pretty much ripped off and and that, that is basically the same thing i know thing. i have i definitely yeah, read course. it in motorcycle and it was absolutely essential of in course motorcycle. well you got to because if you yeah. don't read it before you write your brother's play you're probably going to rip off the wrong things by accident whereas you <laughs> if you reread it you'll go okay i'm allowed to take this you know yeah. so um yeah so with true west it's about two warring brothers, so it becomes basically a kind of boiled up western, and, yeah. and you know, and all, uh, and all that kind of simmering resentment inside just externalizes, and golf clubs smashing up the typewriters and stuff like that. It's the same basic. It's the same process. I just learned that from from him. I think really mm. in that it's the same thing of go if you go when someone's describing a situation or something. Oh, it felt like this. Well, in theatre, you can make it actually that. So why yeah. not? Because <laughs> yeah. that's yeah. going to get it closer to how you feel it yes. rather than how it was, you know, literally. So, um, yeah, the time machine just happened. Is and it? the man and the chain, all that stuff yeah. all came at the same time. And uh, but, uh, but the thing of it being like a, a conventional play, that was definitely, I was definitely aware of that because by that point I'd read however many of those plays, that, yes. you know, the, the, to, to kind of put it kind of cruelly, the sinker state play. Sure. Kind of, um, and that uh, I think... I didn't grow up in Middlesbrough, growing up near it and being aware of it and having friends who, you know, I, I frustrated by like the only stories that you're allowed to have set in an area like that are ones of poverty and whatever. And all that stuff is in ad adventures because it's kind of unavoidable because mm. of a location. But why can't it also be a thriller about a time machine? You know what I mean? And that if you go there, I mean, that's also another thing why genre is quite handy is that you can give everyone sort of recognisable handholds to go... So that they can go. Oh, okay, it's it's this. It's the it's it's he's the bad guy. It's kind of a, like Brilliant Adventures is a western, basically. It's like Rio Bravo or something. It's like they're all kind of closeted up in this like little shack, and there's someone from outside who's coming in who's going to take it away. And then, mm. so the audience go, okay, I get this, which means then we can do all kinds of other things because they're always going to be able to come back to like the basic thrust of that play. I can follow. There's a really clear plot here, which means that you can do all kinds of formal experiments. I can have a point where a character just comes out and talks to the audience at sure. the top of the second half. Yeah. I can have a double of a character turn up. I, yeah. I can do, I can do whatever I want. Yeah. Um, and you can always do whatever you want, but having the the plot and the genre stuff in there is is um, helpful. I yeah. think. Um, it's like a, it's a further unity to the. It unity. is, yeah. and I also just think that all people want is a really good story. Yeah. So if I just nail that down as in as clear terms as I can, then then to to help boil that up and make it more interesting, you can do all kinds of things. You know. What struck me reading it and strikes me returning to it, uh, 
I would never think of it, although it's a play that kind of breaks your heart, I would describe it as a play born of rage more than sadness, but is that me projecting onto it? Yeah, there's something angry about it. I mean, there's definitely a thread of just because I've got money and I, I've got no money and I live like this and my situ- I'm not a piece of shit, I don't, yes. you know. Yeah. And, there's, and, and I think, weirdly, the places where it has been like it got produced in Germany and they did it in Mannheim and mm. it's which is also kind of a kind of post-industrial kind mm-hmm. of town and stuff like that. Mm. The places it seems to resonate with are places that have had a similar experience to kind Newcastle of industry and leaving and yeah, you know it, it, it seems to make sense but so that's definitely in the play but I'm I'm always um um I don't like after that play I got asked by a bunch of people to write Oh, can you write about this area, or can you write about? Yeah. And basically, can you cosily put yourself in the slot of northern playwright, please? Yeah. Which um, I always get slightly uh, diva-ish about because <laughs> I just think it's it's just. Have you got I an would, inner diva? Uh, about that, I do. Because if I was from London, I'd never be called a London playwright. Right. I don't think. Yeah. Um, so um, the play after that was set, or was is not specified at all where it's set, which is Captain Amazing was after yeah. that. Yeah. And um, and so, and Pomona, even though it's a very different play to Adventures, has a similar thing in that. Okay, it's set in Manchester, but it's kind of one that you maybe it's don't recognize. It's not Manchester you've not, seen you, in one of my plays. Yeah, is it? it's not one. It's not one you're going to recognize. You know what I mean? It's yeah. and and in that yeah. sense, like even though it uses the geography of it quite specifically, like the M60 and things like that. It could, again, it could be anywhere. It's yeah, just sure. it's just about cities that yeah. one and and X. You know, we you shoot off to Pluto with that, but like it's it's not so so. I'm quite. I am a little bit aware of, of that because I've seen I see people, what happens. And film to, a TV producers ask you to write a science fiction series. Yeah, yeah endlessly, endlessly. <laughs> film every film thing I get coming through is a science fiction thing. Is yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is so weird to me because and this is the other thing because like the 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 worst person at like looking at your own work is yourself, right? Yeah. And and like brilliant adventures for me was completely not science had nothing to do with science fiction right. it had a time machine in it but it was a cardboard box like it was not <laughs> yeah. there was no science involved yeah. in it like yeah. that if there is a genre of that play it is a western it's got every trope that a western has yes. in that it's about a band a struggling band of kind of people in a in a lawless town and the outsider strides in and it's about that mm-hmm. and uh, Pomona everyone thought it was it was constantly referred to as a dystopia or a science fiction again mm-hmm. like I didn't think there was anything in that play that's that we need to shoot off into the future about, you yeah. know, like we can, it is possible to take someone's organs out, you know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Is, that's another spoiler there, but like, yeah. it's not, it's, uh, 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 I, I, and so an X, which has the most obvious genre trappings of anything I've done, because it's on a space station on a, another planet. Um, again, as soon as a play starts, it seems completely uninterested in the fact that it's on a space station it's 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 a yeah. psychological i mean the stuff i was looking at for that play was you know like cherry orchard and things like that you know so it's weird like that people go oh well this play is this and this play is this and and it's nice that you can have a variety of reasons to things but it's always kind of slightly mystified me because i've i've kind of um i don't i don't see it myself yeah i've never seen it <laughs> what's what's uh what's your working day like what's a typical alistair mcdowell working day uh at the moment it's not a great deal going on but like uh, usually if i'm actually working on a thing um get up probably later than i should what and, time's that uh, what time's later than you should i don't if i'm actually working on a thing i'm not too bad because i stay up quite late so i might be getting up at like nine you know what i mean like not not, not like pretty not great but not terrible mm-hmm. you know and then I'll 
if I, again if I'm actually working on a play, I'll try and um, like get out the house, like cycle to um, the library, work at university library. Cause it's quite much stuff. Yeah, yeah, um, and then work there. Um, uh, so this is X specifically. I guess I'm talking about mm. work there, and I'll. Um, write and read and I, I write in quite short bursts so I'll just I'll just kind of suddenly do like a flurry of like an hour and a bit or something and then I'll stop and maybe just read my book for a bit or something like that writing on uh, a computer no I used to I've started writing by hand now I wrote X by hand yeah. the whole play uh, apart from the bulk of a second act because of the it was, I couldn't have done that really it was all because it's all choppy and right you know, all the stuff so all the first acts was written by hand and uh, how did that feel uh, I really liked it a lot, actually. Yeah. I um, because it, it was just, I thought one reason I thought was okay. It's a way to kind of ground this and not get kind of sucked out into kind of throw myself writing a play, not a science fiction extravaganza. You know right. what I mean? So it was yeah. something to like really ground it. Um, but also, um, it was what I did with it was I wrote. Um, I would scribble out the basics of the scene, then I would write a really shonky version of it then I would very carefully write out the actual scene and then I'd staple that, put it on a pile. So I would watch the play grow. Physically grow? Yeah. As and rather than a document that exactly. exists in the... You, you, it's a, it has an exterior. Exactly. Exterior. It has an <laughs> yeah. exterior, yeah. But, uh, but also, um, it, was, it was constantly redrafted as I went because I was writing it out about three, four times. Wow. And then once I'd written out the first half in separate scenes, then I'd write it out again. And then I did one thing. Like I wrote wow. the first half and I had to stop because I had to re, uh, write my connect. I wrote National Theatre Connections play, so I had to stop and do that. So I, I put that kind of very ceremoniously, put the first act in a folder and put that in a drawer. How long did it take you to write the whole thing? I don't know, because I stopped in the middle and started again. Because I, I stopped, did my Connections play in about three weeks, I think, three, four weeks. Then I went back, and rather than opening the folder in with the first act, I wrote the whole first act out again by memory, which meant that I... <laughs> What it meant was I remembered... Producer the, Emily's uh, face. Shaking her head. <laughs> I know. I, Why? It meant because, Why? Because what it did... Because it's, it's, it's distilling it further, right? It meant right. I remembered the good stuff and I forgot the bad stuff. And it meant I, it, was, it was constantly... And with that play, I mean... What's it's weird amazing. about that play is that uh, people would want to talk about the second half because that's where all the weird stuff happens. But the first half was where most of the weird stuff actually happened because the, uh, the first half is built out of repetition and um people say the same phrase a couple yeah. of times and syllables are repeat like like all kinds of weird things happen in the first act so writing it out continuously and constantly finding different ways to bury more and more and more in it like the first act is really really dense in that play like yes yeah. so so writing it by hand was really helpful with that so like the well. second act reveals what's been placed in the yeah first exactly act, right? the, the second act basically strips the surface off a of first that yeah. just shows you what's been going on underneath the whole time yeah the um do you return to reading your own plays you speak really eloquently about plays you've written some time ago like yeah I, if I, i've got quite a good memory i can usually remember most of them but like do you um, find recurring themes or ideas in them yeah 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 what yeah. do you and particularly you, whenever i'm starting a new one i kind of realize oh it's just the same as this or whatever could I, you identify what those yeah, things are i write about um childhoods quite a lot yeah i also more recently actually children have featured in the plays kind of in different forms mm. um, um uh i write about childhood i write about family and i write about um memory i think quite a mm. lot i think there are probably others i used to be really rock solid on them because yeah. um 
it was really obvious, but it yeah. sort of started to shift a bit. Like, what do yeah. you think? Because you used to be able to pin yours down really clearly, but I bet yours have changed quite a yeah, bit. Yeah, I think they, they do change. I think, and I think that I think that I, I kind of because I, the teacher in me and person working with writers quite encourage the gesture of identifying what Stephen Jeffries describes as the myths yeah, yeah. innate in our writing. And it was very useful for me for a long time to realise that I was writing about home. Yeah, yeah. I was writing about the flight away from home uh-huh. and then an impulse to return home or the impossibility of returning home. Yeah. And when I think about the best bits, even in things like Birdland, quite yeah. recent plays, like for me the best bit in Birdland is the bit with his dad. He's called Alistair, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. When he can't, when he wants to tell his dad what a mess he's in, yeah, and he yeah. daren't, and his dad won't let him because his dad's become starstruck too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that, uh, but for me, that's about the impossibility of going home. Mm-hmm. So those central myths. But then the more I do it, the more I think actually, it's more elusive than that. Yeah, I think so. As soon as you said, like, as soon as I said all those things, I think actually no, because you know you. you it's the same thing anything right you change your yeah. mind about everything as well yeah because and also you don't even i don't even know half the time like x yeah. i thought i knew it was about one thing and then when i finished it i realized oh while i was writing it my mum sold the house that we grew up in and that whole place right. about people wanting to go home and missing home and feel home isn't there anymore right you know? wow. and I, I just realizing like oh shit it's just it's just <laughs> the most banal oh, thing in the world you know what i, I mean i don't think like, there's anything banal about <laughs> home <laughs> The uh, I think if that was banal, then some of the greatest plays that have ever been written. Yeah, might maybe, not but it's uh, yeah. Are it's, you? Um, what are you reading at the moment? What am I reading? I just. Are you still a passionate reader? You said you. Were I try to be. Yeah, and I'm not. I'm not writing at the moment, so I'm retiring uh, most of my days. Is that a conscious thing? Uh, yeah, I didn't want to just. I wanted to stop and think about what. I mean, uh, X was like that one took quite a lot. That was quite whatever people thought of it. It was quite big complicated thing to do so I, I, mm. didn't, I didn't feel like I could just like crank another one out as soon as I'd done that so I'm kind of regrouping a bit and thinking about what I want to do I think, living so. in Manchester yeah 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 you've resisted the lure of our great capital city yeah but I'm how here. have you done that <laughs> uh I you know what man it's 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 not it's not so new a lot of a lot of my friends and stuff are moving out now because no, I can afford it but like I I like I think also you pinned this down about me a while ago you said oh you kind of scurry away once you've done a thing and then sort of re-emerge a bit and I like that I can I come here like once a week once a fortnight do all my meetings in like two days yeah. then go back up and just get on with it. and I like being away from the I don't like the distraction of having to hear people talk about theatre all the time which I find sometimes can... how have you how have you found success how have I found success I don't know <laughs> I don't know do I mean no, that's what's was... been successful like Pomona um, and Brilliant Adventures and X <sighs> I, I I'm very proud of those mm. things. I I I um because I, it, it can be a distraction as much as anything else though. Can't I, it? I you know what I was aware of with um, X was um, was that it was probably the first time or maybe the second maybe kind of time one point five that if someone didn't like it they wouldn't just refer to the play and not like it they refer to like my name <laughs> that like right. that like they'd be like. Uh, it it wouldn't be I didn't like his play. It'd be like Alice Medell had done this play that I didn't like, or would it? it yeah. would be it'd be like because they had a relationship with other because plays because as well. there's a couple knocking around now that people have seen or, yeah. or people have decided. Oh, you do this thing, so now I'm going to judge this against the other things and what have you. So, from, so yeah, so I I found that quite because um, I I don't mind if people don't like stuff, but I found it hard like seeing it's weird seeing your actual full name 
Always spelt correct. Always spelt incorrectly in a nice way. Always spelt correctly in a horrible way. Uh, always spelled correctly. I always spell like, it wrong because I've always known. Man, you didn't. It. You just emailed some other Alistair last night, you know, because I got sent it through and just some know, other guy. I know, I know, yeah. I know. Quite, quite a significant other Alistair. Right, the yeah, yeah. Lead guitarist in the country teasers and the teacher of painting at Slade Art School. Yeah, right. Was well, going to come and do this. Well, he's going to be uh, hanging. He's probably he's outside gonna... hanging around. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why he's told me to come here, but, you know. Um, so I, I found that. That was the first thing I noticed, like, oh, like, some people will write my name out now, you know, like that, right. was, that was if they're going to actually kind of, so I found that odd. I mean, I, I love that I hear from people or meet people who have seen or read a bunch of them and mm. like, and you know, and, and I, I mean, the, 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 the big joy with, with X was coming kind of later in the run and yeah. someone coming up quite intensely and saying like, I've seen it four times or like, I've seen it, I've just come back over and over, you know, they've just come back loads of times. And when we did the Q&A, loads of people who came, they'd come back, they'd seen it twice and then come to the Q&A or whatever, you know, yeah. which I guess is the result of doing a play that is fairly um, elliptical, I guess. Are you like, still, are you still, I mean, uh, uh, my son, my 17 year old son, to whom you yeah, are the yeah. favourite playwright, uh, you fucker. <laughs> <laughs> and it will actively compare yeah, my plays yeah. to your plays to tell me how much better you are. <laughs> but um, he tells me that he assures me that the world, the word geek is no longer an insult, that it's quite a compliment to be a geek. Get, He's proud yeah. of being called a geek. Do you think of yourself as being a geek? Yeah, I probably yeah, but I don't I don't like refer to myself as that as a do you know what I, do you know what I think that that relates to is that the I think the only reason that anyone has ever thought my work has had any originality to it is that I think my base of reading and influence is like really broad. So whenever I'm trying to pin down if we're doing a you know you do a play and sometimes people go is there anything I can read or watch or whatever listen to or whatever that will help me get in the mood of doing a play you know actors <laughs> you or whatever a reading you know. list and it's always massive and it's always got stuff on it like why on earth is this in here so with Pomona is the easiest one just because it was the weirdest things in that uh, a lot of uh, <laughs> anime like stuff like Akira right and um, there's a series called Paranoia Agent and and so like a lot of odd anime. Uh, I made Ned watch loads of like really really old like Disney cartoons like 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 the earliest black and white Disney cartoons and I couldn't really explain why I was just like these are in there and then I realized later it was because when I was watching those if you watch like a really old Mickey Mouse cartoon or even before that like Oswald the Lucky Rabbit or whatever these cartoons are really really primitive like line drawings basically yeah, you know yeah. kind of slightly creepy black and white cartoons is that the characters have a kind of elasticity to them and and not and, and an elasticity in their morality as well as in their like actual shape and character and what have you. So like Mickey Mouse might uh you know save someone but he also might like fire off a revolver and smoke a cigar and like and suddenly so, you know and I loved that in those early cartoons there was always like this kind of simmering threat of either violence or kind of or kind of you know your usual fairy tale kind of stuff like at the same time. And with Pomoda that is the kind of same world as that. This elasticity yeah. to everything. That anything can happen at any point. Yes. And that that is the kind of the game of that play almost, you know? And that so 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 a lot of the time when I'm looking at stuff um, for inspiration or influence, it's it's sometimes I can't even pin it down. It's like, oh, this is in there somewhere. Like, I don't know why. Like, sometimes it's obvious that with X, it was like, well, the cherry orchard's is kind of in there because it's a play about people waiting for a big thing, you know. And um, mm. But also, um, it was all kinds of, um, you know, music, like Penderecki, like contemporary classical music and stuff, just like, just stuff that you get a feeling from or whatever. And I think that when, I, when I'm when i teaching, like that's one of the things that I'm constantly banging on about. It's like, don't just read 
the same four playwrights that you love because your plays will just seem sound like those a mix yeah. of those four playwrights. You should and you should find stuff that you actively dislike and try and work out why people think it's good. Mm-hmm. And, and and so I think I think a big part of my job, which I'm constantly reminding myself, is just to find new stuff and try and work out why. And it's that, it's that active work for you. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's it, I would do it anyway because I, I I'm just obsessive and want to discover anything. But there's just something about. Um, going, why do people think this is brilliant? I don't understand. And then go, oh, okay, I'm going to now try and... Have you, you know, got yeah. an example of a recent Like, you know what, a that? really basic one, it, like, you know, people, it's like, um, I remember getting Daydream Nation when I was like 13, Sonic 14, Youth Sonic album, Youth yeah. album, right? And you put that album on, you hear Teenage Riot, and you're like, this is the greatest album I've ever heard. I'm 14 <laughs> years old, this is the greatest album I've ever heard. Yeah. And then you hear the rest of it, and you're like, this is just noise, I don't understand this record. Like, what is it, you <laughs> yeah. know? And then I remember having a really conscious thing of going, well, uh, lots of sources are telling me this is one of the best albums ever, so I'm just going to repeatedly go and listen to it and listen to it and listen to it until I've broken the back of it and I kind of live inside it and I get it. And and that process is something that everyone does with difficult things, you know, if they, if they, if they want to have an effort to engage with something. But I try and do it with just, you know, like kids' cartoons sometimes or like, you know, like... Um, uh, classical music I'm a huge novice in but I'm trying to at the moment I'm trying to kind of like discover kind of the things about that and stuff and just if you can get inside something and limit it and work out what it is then there's so many places you can take that and put into your own work and things like that like I I mean I know you talk about going to the galleries and stuff like that Mm. I find often the biggest influence on my plays recent years is stuff that is not uh, plays a lot of the time because it's like music a lot of it like Mm. and not necessarily Know, like classical music or, or ambient music I listen to a lot of ambient music mm. and stuff or um, yeah like at the moment I'm looking at a lot of painters and you know things like that and stuff and just because it's trying to find new ways of engaging with an uh, audience so I if guess. you're not writing at the moment what yeah. what are you doing what am day? I doing <laughs> yeah, well we, we bought a house earlier in the year so I'm kind of wallpaper stripping and stuff like that what else am I doing I'm, I'm reading yeah. uh, I'm reading a lot yeah um, and I'm uh, listening to a lot of music and I'm watching a lot of documentaries and films and stuff and I'm going to a library and kind of leafing through big art books and stuff like that. Yesterday I just... How are you earning money? Are you earning money? Well, I got I, I kind of have money because anyway, I don't I don't I don't live particularly extravagantly. I yeah. don't have kids or anything. So like and and the play did okay here. Yeah. So like I have my kind of royalty and stuff like that. So I've yeah. got enough to kind of you know be okay for a while. Yeah. Um. Do so you enjoy I teaching. Just, uh yeah I do and I like that I don't I don't do it for money because I'm kind of okay for money so I just right. do it if I feel like oh it'd be it, I would like to and it would be helpful to me at this point because that you, sh- you old cliche about you learn more than they do is I find endlessly true you know yeah, yeah. so I I like yeah. doing it I kind of try to do it once a year as almost like a top up because yeah. it just makes me do really basic things like okay I better read Aristotle again I better <laughs> you know what I mean like like yeah. really kind of yeah so yeah so at the moment I'm just I'm just. Uh, I'm just reading and thinking and walking around and have feeling you, depressed that I'm not writing is what I'm doing. <laughs> you've, you've not written film or television, have you, that I know of? Yeah, um, I've done, I, I've i written things that haven't been made, yeah. yeah. I'm, will I've you? been working on a film. I Yeah, I mean, I, I think I probably will. It, it doesn't, um, I'm working on this film that I'm, I'm kind of interested in at the moment, but I'm generally, it's just all about theatre for me at the moment. Mm. I'm just... Because I, I just don't, I just want to get better at it. How are you in rehearsal? I don't know. You'd have to ask the directors. I guess. <laughs> Do you enjoy I think it? I, yeah, enjoy I, I love it. Yeah, I mean, like, and I've been very lucky that I've just worked with the most 
not just talented but also like lovely nice kind people yeah. as well you know and I, I find it very hard at the beginning because I'm not an anxious kind of quiet person I think usually so I yeah. kind of tend to not say a huge amount and then gradually open up I think but no I, I, I love rehearsal and mm. I just I like um, trying not to be too specific and I like people finding new things and things I didn't know were there and stuff like that I think I'm getting better at stepping further and further back I mm. think as well so um you are, yeah. uh, do you consider your writing seems a really all right so I'm going to contextualize this question okay then. I was given a note by producer Emily and yeah. Anushka who's running this podcast who's, uh -huh. who's she's kind of the boss of all of us yeah, in many yeah. ways that I shouldn't ask people about Brexit because <laughs> because we we were recording this 2 weeks after the EU referendum yeah uh, and when you ask to David Hare about that, you get a particular answer that's really compelling. Mm -hmm. uh, but they said, listen, it's not about Brexit. Don't keep asking people about Brexit uh, because it's, it's about writers and about their process. That's what makes it unique. So don't be... And I was going to ask you, do you con as a means of not asking about Brexit, yeah. I was going to ask you if you consider your writing to be a political gesture at all. But that seemed like a really boring question in my head before it came out of my mouth. <laughs> so uh, to make it more playful, and you can ignore this, is... All right, so this is podcast is going to be a podcast probably maybe January, maybe as late as January 2017. Right. Right. What's going to have happened between now, July 16, and January 17, do you think? What do I think? Jesus. <laughs> you know what? Like, I... I um... It'd be fun to compare God. it when it's actually podcast. What? I was on Andrew Moore and he didn't ask me this. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Brexit hadn't happened yet, so... <laughs> But, yeah. Do you worry about it? Do you worry about... No, of course, I think everyone's pretty worried at the moment, right? I yeah. mean, it's... Do you know what? The reason I'm worried is that I've got no idea. I think usually you can have a... You can go, well, I don't know if this is going to happen or this kind of... But probably this is probably good. Like, the, the status quo is usually relatively predictable, right? But at the moment, I feel like everything is in flux and up for grabs. And I don't... Does it concern you as an artist? Um. No, actually... It it no, it just concerns me as like a person really yeah. that lives in the country. But like I don't, you know, um, I don't know. Like that would be interesting what you think as well. But when all the cuts and things were happening, um, which are still happening, mm. but when the first waves would start to be really felt, I, I was still getting off quite a bit of work, and I realized like oh, I think I just got in as the door shut. Yeah. You know, like I think I was one of the last kind of yeah. waves of people who managed to sneak through. Yeah. You know. And so I really felt like, oh, it's actually way harder for, um, for like the people I teach and things like that, just because opportunities drying up, like not just across the country, so, but in London as well. I it's think an extraordinary well. expansion of opportunities for writer in the past decade that is now meeting with an extraordinary contraction yeah. of opportunities of their stages. And as you know, I, you know, I came through. I look at Curious Incident, The Dog in the Nighttime, which is basically paid my family. Yeah, you know, yeah. Right. And that was made by me, Marianne Elliott, Scott Graham, Stephen Hoggart, um, uh, Ian Dickinson, Paulie Constable, Bunny Christie, and a whole team of artists, yeah. all of whom trained in the subsidised theatre world. Of course, yeah. I went to see The Cursed Child, which is exquisite, uh, the other weekend, yeah. uh, made by Jack Thorne, John Tiffany, Stephen Hoggart, uh, all people who've come through the subsidised world. Yeah. We're making theatre to bankroll the West End, and we paid for our lives with it. Yeah. And now, and that, and I feel really guilty. I feel yeah. really, I feel really guilty about it. I feel, you know, it's really complicated. It, it is. I don't know. I. 
I don't know what to say, and I don't know how political, like, because I know your theory is that you think my generation are more explicitly I find political. that in your plays. I find a political rage in something like Captain Amazing or Pomona, even, or Brilliant Adventures. That, and it's almost more palpable because it doesn't feel conscious. It's not like a David Yeah. Hare. Much as I enjoy David Hare's plays, the more I read them, but it doesn't feel conscious in that way. Well, that's my like my favorite capital P political playwright is Miller, probably. Right. Because you can go to the Crucible and go, oh, it's all about the the, yeah. the blacklist, and you know, but but actually, you can go and just think it's a really thrilling story about a village in crisis. You know. What I, I mean? think if you saw the Crucible and thought, oh, it's about the the Hollywood blacklist of the fifties, you'd think that was shit, wouldn't you? Well, you you probably have, you'd probably have been on a school trip. <laughs> yeah. <that's> what you, <laughs> but like. <laughs> But that's the that's the kind of what's what what surrounds all of his plays is that actually it's you know there's this sitting underneath it or whatever yeah. you know and that I like that that it's there if you want it but you don't have to take it so adventures can people when people write about that play talk about it being about urban decay and the north south divide and all mm. this stuff and that's there if you want it but it's also a thriller about a bad guy that turns up to a to a family in crisis and the, you know and what the, I mean? the artist in you is more interested in the in, in its resonances with rio bravo than its political gesture no it's not that i'm more interested you know it's that i think for me it's it's if i try if i sit down and go i'm gonna write a play about this theme topic whatever it won't happen and that mm. i just just talk, think about the characters and the story and everything else happens by accident it all happens by accident and it, it happens organically because I think it will happen organically to anyone because if you're a conscious person in a, in a world and you are in any way politicised, it will seep in anyway. Yeah. And I try not to let it... I don't like it if it's happening consciously. I don't... I, I tr if I feel like I've put anything in as... Here's what I... Because I, I really hate it if I see a play and it gets to a point where I feel like I can hear the playwright yelling at me from the stage about what they think about A, B and C. Who are you writing for? I'm just writing for myself, yeah. Which is kind of the only person I can write for. Yeah. Because if I'm trying to write for some imaginary audience, then then um, um, then I'm just you can't you can't second guess who's going to be sat there. You can't do anything. You'll just write something that no one likes. Yeah. If I write something that I like, then hopefully there's enough weirdos like me that will also like it. But I mean, who do you feel? Who are you writing for? I for me, it's more of a conversation. Yeah, yeah. Because I just, oh, I will write a different play for the Royal Court than I will write for the Royal Exchange or for the National because it feels like I'm having a conversation not just with the auditoriums or auditoria uh, and the artistic programming of those theatres, but also for the audiences. So I'll, I'll, I'll stand on the balcony outside the, outside the Dorfman or the Cottesloe and look down at the audience coming in and thinking, do I want to have a chat with those people? What do I want to say to them? Really? Man, yeah, sorry. I do. I mean, it, is, it, is, it feels like a conversation in that way. I try and completely ignore as much as possible any perceptions I have of what the theatre is and where it is and right. who's going to it. Right. I try to. Um, Pomona, which ostensibly was apparently written for the Royal Welsh College, wasn't really written for Royal Welsh College. I was going to write that play and then I got asked, oh, have you got a play for Royal Welsh College? And I met them and I liked them. And yeah. the main decision is they got it is because I thought it would be funny to do this weird dark play at the Royal Welsh College. And a lot of the time, it's it's the opposite of what you're saying. It's like, can I can I create something that's surprising because it wouldn't normally be there? Which, which is is the, or not the opposite. It's no, actually, it's, it's still, the same it's, thing as I what guess I'm it saying. Is. Yeah, yeah. It, in a conversation, you don't want to say the predictable thing. You want to no, listen I guess and right. respond. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> as soon as I said that, I was like, that's wrong. But like, but it's, I guess it's, but it's still, I'm still fundamentally just trying to entertain myself first, because uh, which sounds masturbatory, but 
I nothing wrong with a bit most, of masturbation. Most writing is, <laughs> but like um, yeah. because I can't. I cannot second guess because also experience has told me that I've no idea what people are going to make of it. Like people who I thought, I mean, some of the most enthusiastic people who saw Brilliant Adventures in Manchester were two seventy-five plus ladies yeah. who went and saw a matinee and hung around, and just wanted to talk to the ushers about it for ages. And that's a play where like um, the sea bombs dropped in about the first five minutes. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it's not. It's it's what you would conventionally assume was not for. Yes. And the the the, the the narrative around Pomona being at the Orange Tree was like, oh, the Orange Tree's got this type of audience and it's weird, this plays there and they're not going to like it. Blah. And there were some people who fit that mould, I guess, and we got a few letters and stuff. But I also got letters, we also got letters at the National, where, you know what I mean? There's yeah, people sure. who hate everything, it doesn't... And uh, and I also I just never like to assume who sat there, ever. Because yeah, okay. I think it's a judgment call. And also because you're always hoping that someone else is going to show up, right? That's what yeah. you're kind of hoping for. I mean... That's the best thing in the world when someone comes up and goes, "I've never been to a theater before, but yeah. I just heard about this, so yeah. I came." That's like the best. That's like the best review you could have from anyone. And a question which is kind of a similar question, but also a different question. So you can, you can say, "I've just said that," so do that. <laughs> that's what you feel. Um, why, why, why are you writing? Uh, it just because I just would anyway. Really, I just, I just, it's just. I think it, it because I. Because I'm, like I said earlier, it's just because I'm addicted to stories and I'm desperate for stories. Mm. And because I just want more. Uh, I think other reasons, like, I think it probably helps my mental health a little bit. I think I'm probably easier to live with while I'm doing something than while I'm not doing something, I think. Um, so my wife will probably attest at the moment. And um, I, I also, part of me is just like, well... I've got no other applicable skills. Like that's, that's like it's like the one thing I've done repeatedly. I mean, why are you writing? I mean, once you've got kids, that comes into it, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, writing to feed them. Uh-huh. Writing because I have done other jobs that I've not enjoyed as much as this. Yeah, that's definitely and part of I it. I kind of want to carry on doing this job because it's you don't have to get up at seven o'clock in the morning and go and teach teenagers in Dagenham. Uh, much as I love Dagenham and teenagers and teaching. Um, uh, I think I write because I read yeah. and I love the gesture of reading and I kind of want to engage in the conversation. Would you ever write a book? Oh, well, I've wrote, I wrote the diary. But would you write like a, a, novel. Uh, a novel? Yeah. Are you interested in that audience kind of diary? I'm, I'm not because I, because I love the notion that I get in theatre that I haven't get in the few short films that I've made. That in the theatre... Um, the whole is definitely more than the sum of its individual yeah, constituent yeah. parts. And that happens when people come together in a room to make something. Mm. That room, I'm thought, I think about you on, on your tour from Manchester up to the fringes of the, wherever your fringes were with your Ikea bag full of stuff. Fundamentally, making Threatening Opera yeah. and the Olivier was kind of that. Yeah, it's the same thing. But right? in the Olivier. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I still get, every single time I go up there, I still get excited just before we go in like I still yeah and even if I've already guessed or assumed it's not gonna be very good I'm still thinking as an oh, audience this is exciting yeah. you know we're going look we're all here we're going in you know what I mean <laughs> like where's my seat you know and I and that you don't get that anywhere else like I, just, I think that all of that is part of it and I loved like I know uh, being downstairs at the court is exciting, obviously, because it's downstairs at court, but it's like, yeah, big pros arch, and there's, yeah. we're going to have an overture, and we're going to have, you know what I mean? Like, there's, <laughs> it's just like event, you know? Mm. 
and that and that all of that plays into the same experience and that really that's all i'm interested in is like how what temperature could i cook the room at this time like what can i do with the room this time you know why 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 am i asking people to come you know and because uh, that's that's what i want it's just i want the same things as an audience member right? i want to be surprised and yeah delighted and mm. you know alistair mcdell thank you very very much indeed okie doke Cheers. Thanks very much for listening to the Royal Court Theatre Playwrights Podcast. If you'd like to listen to more, then make sure you subscribe at royalcourttheatre.com or on iTunes to get the next episode. You can purchase many of the plays discussed here, all of the plays discussed here, at royalcourttheatre.com forward slash shop or come into the bookshop. Uh, at the theatre in Sloan Square. Come to the theatre, come and see the plays. Follow us on Twitter, at Royal Court. Follow me on Twitter, at Stephen Simon. And tune in next week to next week's Royal Court Theatre Playwrights podcast. Uh, I'm Simon Stevens. Have a brilliant week. Thank you very much for listening. See you later. Ta-ra.